Good morning. What a blessing. Taylor is such a blessing and she's a new mother and we're going to celebrate Mother's Day next Sunday and Adel will be our speaker and we're going to have a time where she'll be able to celebrate the first Mother's Day with her new baby boy, Colin, and her husband, Jeff. That's going to be a special one. Speaking of Mother's Day and anniversaries and so forth, today is the 12th anniversary of Ken and Melissa Knott's uh, anniversary today. Let's give them a hand for that. Very good. The Lord is so good. He really is. He blesses us so tremendously. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we thank you today that you're in the waiting with us. Lord, when we're going through hard times and struggles, waiting upon you for your answers and trusting in you, you're right there with us, Lord, right by our side. You're, you're going through it with us. Whatever we feel, you're feeling it with us. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us this much. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts through your word today. Inspire us by the Holy Spirit. Convict us. Challenge us. Lead us to Christ. Help us, Lord, to trust you for your word for our lives today. And we pray that you'll hide me behind the cross and that you will speak to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question today, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but think about it in your heart. What are you living for? What floats your boat? What, what is the thing that is most passionate that you have in your life? What's the most worth living for? You know, at the end of life, when you look back on your life, are you going to, what are you going to have to show for it? And you know, when you're a Christian and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know for sure you're going to heaven. And that is what life is all about. But what we do for him now is really what is going to count for all eternity. And time is limited. This world is evil and we're heading, it's heading to its evil end. And we as believers have opportunities to live for the Savior today. And the title of our message today is Living to Make a Difference. Living to make a difference. Every one of our lives is unique. It's special. No two people are alike. We know it from science. Every DNA and every person is different. Every fingerprint is different. Every personality is different. Every life, every background that we have is different. We speak different languages. We come from different cultures and so forth. But God loves each one of us. We're special to him. He knows our name. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He cares for us. And Jesus went to the cross and died for us. We can never say, God can never forgive me of my sins because he can. He wants to wipe away our sins. He wants to wipe them out and give us eternal life so that we can live in this world to make a difference. So that we live this world better off than when we came in. That's the goal. And that's the goal I was thinking about as I was meditating on this message. I want to leave this world better off than, I, than it was before I came into this world. And that's, that's the key. And today our text is from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14. We've been in Hebrews chapter 13 for the memory class and it's been such a blessing. And it says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him 
outside the camp bearing his reproach. And then verse 14 says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This world is not the end all. We're going to leave this world and we're going to go into eternity. For those who know Christ, we're going to be in his presence immediately with him forever. But if we don't know Christ and we die that way, we're not going to be with him. We're going to be apart from him in hell forever. That's what the Bible says. This isn't Dean's word. This is God's word. This is the truth of God's word that God loves us enough as he made provision for all of us to be saved and be with him. Heaven's big enough to fit every person. I know Lorraine liked that song. We used to sing it years ago and we asked for who has a favorite song you'd like to sing for us tonight. We had guitars and things. And she says, there's room at the cross for you. Lorraine, that's your favorite. I know it, right? And it says in that hymn, it says, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, the reservation, we, we don't have a reservation for you. We're all booked up. Sometimes you go to a hotel and they say, I'm sorry, we didn't get your reservation. We're all full. We, you'll have to go to another place. Heaven is ready for us. All we have to do is accept the free gift of eternal life that Jesus gives us through his sacrifice on the cross. And then our lives take on new meaning. New purpose. We're not just living for ourselves anymore. We're living for a heavenly purpose. We're living for a heavenly city. We're going to be with the Lord forever. And that's a real encouragement to me. The other day I got the mail out of the mailbox here at the church and a little book had come from the Walnut Creek Christian Academy and they were talking about their school that they have and they sent a little book. It's really thin. You can read it really quick. It's, it's called Live to Make a Difference. It's by Max Lucado. It's a little book and it's so amazing. And Max Lucado in this book said this quote, He said, these are devastating times. 1.75 billion people are desperately poor. One billion are hungry. Lonely hearts indwell our neighborhoods and attend our schools. In the midst of it all, here we stand. You and me and our one-of-a-kind lives. We're given a choice, an opportunity to make a big difference during a difficult time. What if we did? What if we rock the world with hope? Wouldn't it be worth trying? Yes, we are those who can rock the world with hope. Remember the early Christians, they turned the world upside down because Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen from the dead and they were spreading that good news and it turned the world upside down. Well, that gospel that started then over 2,000 years ago is the same gospel which is preached today that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. He rose again. He calls us to accept Him as our personal Savior and have eternal life and know for sure that we're going to heaven. And that is a blessing. We're going to look at three things briefly this morning. Is Number one, when it comes to making a difference, we have to have the right perspective. Number two, we have to have the right priorities. And number three, we have to have the right pursuit. I love to study about... Abraham. How many love Abraham? Abraham was a great man of God. He was a leader. He was a man of faith, a man of obedience. He loved the Lord and he followed him all the days of his life. And so Abraham is a tremendous example to us. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9 about Abraham, 
It says, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. We have to realize that we are like Abraham. We're just passing through this world. We're living in tents. In other words, we don't have a permanent dwelling here on this earth. We may own a home. We may have a great home. We may live in that home all our lives. It's great, but one day we're going to leave it and we're going to go to be with the Lord and we're going to leave it all behind. And you know what? The more things you have in life, the more you just have to say, Lord, when I go, I don't care who gets them. They can have my car. They can have my house. They can have my money, my 401k. They can, I'm going to leave it all behind. If the rapture happens today and Jesus comes and he takes me home, I'll say goodbye to it all. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to want it because we got something up there, which is so far better. We sang about it in the hymn. We got mansions in glory. We got a place prepared for us. We've got people waiting for us. We got Jesus with his arms waiting to wrap around us to welcome us into heaven. We will not miss this world at all. And you think this world is beautiful with all the rivers and lakes and, and beautiful mountains and places to see like Yosemite? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to see something far greater. Because if this world, as tainted by sin as it is, is beautiful, how much more beautiful will heaven be for us? It's going to be glorious. It's something to look forward to. And that's what we do as Christians but I was really touched by this verse because it says here we have no continuing city. We have no enduring city. We have no city that on earth it's going to last forever. The NLT says of this verse, it says, for the world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. And I'm looking forward to it as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it goes on to say about Abraham. And I love this man of faith. It says, for Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, we have some great builders out there. You know, you have the KB Homes. They're building some over here in Danville. You get some other great ones, the Ponderosa Homes or whatever it is. And there's some nice homes with all the amenities. And you can buy a model house with maybe it all furnished, ready to go. And you're, you're great. But how about if your house is built by God? Don't you think that would be a great house when God builds it? It says we have a city up there in glory and it's going to have a house and it's going to have foundations whose builder and maker is God. Greg's a great architect, Greg, but we've got a better one up in heaven. I mean, he's going to be building us something special because if it's taken him over 2000 years to prepare the place for us, it's got to be good. And I praise God. For that, But we've got to have the right perspective in life. So many times we go around as Christians sad, discouraged, our heads down because we're weighed down by the cares and the problems and the obstacles and the difficulties of life. And we sometimes let us get to, it gets to us sometimes. The Lord wants us to have the right perspective. He wants us to remember who's in charge. The Lord. Who's allowing these things to happen? It's the Lord. Who's in with us in our lives? It's the Lord. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. And so we need to have the right vantage point. We need to have the right perspective. They say the optimist says the glass is half full. And I like an optimist. It's good to think of that glass as half full. The pessimist, on the other hand, he says that glass is half empty. Bad news, right? But I thought of it this way. The Christian has a different perspective. The Christian says 
I have something to drink. And every drop I have, I'm not worthy to drink. That's a Christian. Glass half empty, glass half full, but the Christian is thankful for every drop that God gives. And that's really the difference that sets us apart. Our perspective is an eternal perspective. We're looking at it from the long run in what God wants to do in our lives today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. God has an eternal plan. Our perspective needs to be God's perspective. I read a humorous little quote about Goliath and David. It was really neat. It said, someone once said, get the right perspective. When Goliath came out against the Israelites, all the soldiers thought, he's so big we can never kill him. David looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big I can't miss. (laughs) I like that, you know. He's so big, I can't miss. And he didn't miss. He brought down that man, that giant. And it wasn't in his own strength. He did it in the name of the Lord. He says, I come again, uh, out against you in the name of the Lord. You have blasphemed the, the Lord and his armies. And I have come in the name of the Lord. And he defeated that giant, Goliath, 100%. What a blessing it is. You know, God has given us a perspective and we need to have this perspective. And one of my favorite verses on perspective is familiar to many, if not all of us. It's Philippians 4.13. I think you can quote it with me. For it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul didn't say I can do all things. I'm not Atlas or some big strong man. I can do all things. But he said, I can do all things through. Through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever God's will for us to do is, He's going to give us the strength to do it, to carry it out. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave the perspective to us in John chapter 15 and verse 5 that says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Say it with me. You can do Nothing. That's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we get all fired up. We think we can do things and we go out and we just fall flat on our face because we tried to do it on our own. It does not work. It takes the Lord. It takes a team effort. The Lord and us together. He's the one and we're the zero. We bring nothing to it. But he's the one and he puts all of it in the right perspective for us. Yes, it's a tremendous thing to have the right perspective, but it's all how we see life. One day there was a young couple, they went on a, on a little uh, second honeymoon. They went on a little vacation and they were staying in a rented cottage. And one afternoon the husband looked outside and he saw some people in the swimming pool and he said, let's change our clothes and go get some exercise. Well, the wife was inside of the kitchen and she was looking out the window too and she saw some people playing tennis. So... Guess what happened? She dressed for a tennis match and he put on his swimming trunks. (laughs) Two different perspectives. They both looked outside. They both looked outside the window, but they saw different things. As Christians, we need God's perspective to see life as it really is, to see people as they really are. And that is what is it's all about. I love that story in Second Kings where 
the Syrians were really mad because Elisha the prophet had been just ruining every plan that they had because he was telling the king of Israel whenever they were going to come and do things, he would tell them the plans and they, then their plans were thwarted. They couldn't do anything. And then the king of Syria was so mad, he gathered all his lords together, all his advisors and said, okay, which one of you has been telling our plans to, to the king of Israel? To, and then one of the people said, and it was prophetic, he says, it's nobody here, sire. It's none of us. We're not traitors. It's Elisha, the prophet. He's telling everything that you speak in your bedroom. He's speaking that to, the, to, to Elisha. Elisha's getting that word to the king of Israel. All right, get the, all the troops. I mean, every one of you. No, no overtime. I mean, we're coming in overtime, whatever it takes. We're going out and we're going to take out this Elijah. We don't care who he is. We're going to take him out so he'll be out of here completely. So they got all their soldiers and all their armaments and all their chariots and they went out there and all of a sudden the servant of Elisha looked up and he saw this huge army coming down descending upon the city where they were to get them. And he was so afraid. He says, Elisha, my master, look at what's befallen us. All these soldiers are here. And so Elisha says, don't worry about it. There's more with us than are with them. And so he, he opened, he prayed and he said this, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And sure enough, when those troops came, Elisha prayed, Lord, and I love how the Lord has a sense of humor because he said, he prayed, Lord, blind them, take away their sight. So here's the, here's the army, the commander and all these troops and everyone was blind. Every single one of them was blind. And so Elisha says, who are you looking for? He says, oh, we're looking for Elijah. Oh, he's not here. Follow me. I'll take you there. So come on. And so he's leading this whole army. And it's got a, That's why I say God has a sense of humor, because here's Elisha, the prophet. One per, and he's leading the commander and he's leading the chariots and all these people right to the city of Samaria, right where the king of Israel was. And then he says, Lord, open their eyes. And there they are in the midst. And the king of Israel said, shall we kill them, Lord? Shall we kill them uh, to Elisha? Shall we kill them? No, don't kill them. And he says, in fact, feed them. And they gave him a big meal and sent him on their way. And it says, no more did the banding raids of, of the Syrians come anymore to the land. Can you imagine that? You're marching, you're blind. All of a sudden, you look up. We're in enemy territory. They're all around us. Praise God. Have the right perspective. Because God is with us and we can conquer whatever is in front of us. Yes, we have spiritual weapons. We've been talking about spiritual warfare on Wednesday nights. And we have all the armor of God, the whole armor of God. It's there at our disposal, but it's not going to do us any good if we don't put it on. If we don't use it, if we don't wear it. But we need to do that every day so that we have the right perspective to face whatever life has for us. So that's our first point this morning is perspective. We as Christians need to have the right perspective. We're on the victorious side. We belong to Jesus. We're his people. He's going to give us the final victory. We know the end of the story. It's going to be glorious. So praise be to God for that. Secondly, it's important to have the right priorities in life. You can have the right perspective, but you've got to also have the right priorities. And the right priorities mean you put the right things in the right order, at the right time. That's what it means to have the right priorities. We want to have the priorities of Christ 
in our lives. That's what Abraham had. He had that priority because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, we read of Abraham's priorities. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to the place where he was to receive an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, is that priorities or what? He had God's priority. He says, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. But if God called me, I'm on it. I'm on board. I'm with you, Lord. And that's exactly what he did. He had the right priorities. You're his priority. I'm his priority. That's pretty amazing. And so others should be our priority too. The Lord should always come first, others second, and ourselves last. And when we put the Lord first, he'll take care of everything. I read a really interesting story about two ships back in the days gone by that had both set off from Memphis, Tennessee to go to New Orleans, Louisiana. They were carrying cargo. They were paddle boats is what they were, and they were fueled by coal. And so they were going along, and the two of them had come along like this. And you know how people get competitive. I mean, I can be competitive, but nothing like the world. The world is like super competitive on the wrong things, right? Well, that's what happened with these, these sailors. One of them started to say, you guys are so slow. You're like a snail's pace going so slow there in that boat. And pretty soon, the competitive juices on both sides started to get really out of hand. And so now the race is on. Now it's not just two ships going at a nice pace to arrive safely with the cargo and everything. They were on their way. And so as they went, they, this, this one ship started to fall behind the other one. He said, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. We're falling behind. We're running out of coal. We don't have any more coal. So one of the sailors, what he thought would be the best thing to do, he starts putting in some of the material from the cargo. He puts it in, the, in there to burn in the oven. And that works pretty good. It worked just as good as the coal. It starts making us start to catch up and get faster. So then the other soldiers got the uh, sailors got the idea too. let's put some more in there, more in there, more in there. Well, pretty soon they were really going and they won the race and they got there. But guess what? No cargo was left. They had in their in their desire to win and beat the other people, their priorities were on that and not getting the cargo there safe as they should have. You know, God has entrusted each one of us with precious cargo. If you're a husband, you have a wife. If you're a wife, you're entrusted with your husband. You have children. You have a job. You have responsibilities. You have ministries to serve the Lord. God has given us cargo. We don't want to arrive and waste the cargo. We want to take care of whatever God has given us and use it for his glory. That's the priorities we need to have. Max Licato said, he says, God has entrusted cargo to us too. And he mentions children, spouses, friends. He says, our job is to do our part in seeing this cargo reaches its destination. Yet when the program takes priority over the people, people often suffer. How much cargo do we sacrifice in order to achieve the number one slot? You know, we want to be number one so much that we, we sacrifice our family time. We sacrifice time with our kids. We sacrifice the spiritual things in order to, to gain a high position in this world that, as we said before, we're going to leave behind anyway. Our priority should be on the things above, not on the things of this world. And that was the priority that Abraham had, too, because when God asked him to offer his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah, he didn't say no. He got up early in the morning and he set off. 
And he was about to carry out that sacrifice when God stopped him and he said, Abraham, Abraham, do nothing to harm the lad. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He saw Abraham's true commitment, his true priorities to put the Lord first, no matter if it made sense or not. And the Lord is so good to us. I love that verse in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 that says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I like a little story. This story was very uh, much of a blessing to me because there was a high school teacher. And I know we have several teachers here like Shauna, Adam, different ones, teachers. Well, this high school teacher wanted to demonstrate to his class a really good object lesson. So he took a large mouth jar and he filled it up with several large rocks. And then he asked the class, is it full? And all the class says, yes, it is full. Then the teacher takes a bucket of gravel and pours it into the jar. The small rocks settle into the spaces between the big rocks. Then he asks the class, is it full? Well, most of them said yes. Some of them held back, but they say yes. They kind of saw where this was going. Then the teacher produced a large can of sand. And he took the sand and he poured it inside the jar with already the rocks and the gravel in there. And he put that in. Is it full? Well, some of them were not going to answer that. Some said, though, yes, it is full. It is full. Then he took some water and he poured the water inside the jar and the water seeped on through. And he says, is it full? Well, still, some replied, yes, it is full. Well, then he asked the question. He said this. He said, okay. What is the point of this demonstration? Well, one bright young student, and we've got a lot of bright young students out there today, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, he raised up his hand, teacher, I know the answer, I know the answer. Okay, tell us why there is the point of this object lesson. Well, he said, no matter how full one's schedule is in life, he can always squeeze in a few more things. Sounds good, right? Sounds like a good answer. But the teacher didn't say yes to that one. He says, no, replies the teacher. The point is, unless you first place in the large rocks, you are never going to get them in. The big rocks are the important things in your life. The things such as your God, your family, your friends, your personal growth. And if you fill life with the small things, as demonstrated by the gravel, the sand and the water, you'll never have time or space to fit in the important things. And I thought, wow, that is an object lesson. Our lives are full. We're busy. We have a lot of things to do. But if we have the right priorities, those big rocks, the things that are really the most important, and we do those first, God will make sure that the other things that are important get taken care of. Case in point, I've known so many kids over the years that on Wednesday night Bible study, they have had homework and they have had tests the next day And they have had many responsibilities, but they have come. Their parents honored the Lord. Their kids honored the Lord. And the next day, the Lord took care of the test. The Lord blesses us when we put him as the priority of our life. He will take care of the rest. And that is how the Lord works. He wants us to have the right priorities and not to allow the sand 
the water and the gravel, the things of this world to squeeze away and squeeze out what's really important. So we see that as Christians who want to live to make a difference, we have to have the right perspective. We have to see life from God's perspective. We have to do it his way. And we have to have the right priorities of putting him first, our family, our country, everything. And then to have the right pursuits. Because you can have the best perspective and you can have the best priorities, but if you don't do them, they're not going to do us any good, are they? So God wants us to have that kind of spirit that to be a doer. To be a doer. Christianity is about doing. It's about action. And one of the scriptures that I love so much is James chapter 1 and verse 22. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says this, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers of it. So many times I think the word of God just kind of goes right through our ears. It just goes in one ear and out the other. Like we said, we hear the Bible study, we hear the message, and then we forget. We're forgetful people. But we have to, we have to memorize the word. We have to meditate on it. We have to study it so it becomes part of us. This scripture memory class is so fantastic because it allows us to memorize his word and use it in our lives. When the occasion arises, we're going to use it in our lives. And I love this class. And we have memorized so many verses. And it's such a tremendous thing. But we have to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. We have to be doers. We have to be obedient. We have to put him first. That's where it comes in. Well, I love this story, too, because it's a story of Stonewall Jackson. Remember the Civil War? He was General Stonewall Jackson. He was a famous general. He attended West Point along with many of the other generals on the North and the South. And he was a great leader. There's no question about that. He was on the wrong side. He was on the losing side. But he was a great leader no, nonetheless. Well, one day, he and his troops were out and they were on the, so on the wrong side of the river. And he says, you know what, guys? We need to be on the other side of the river. We're in the wrong place. The enemy could come right now and attack us and we would be in big trouble. We've got to get to that other side of the river. How are we going to do it? The river is fast. It's moving. We can't cross it. We need to build a bridge. So when you need to build, build a bridge, who do you get? You get an engineer. And he didn't have just one. He had a few of them. And he says, OK, here's your assignment. We need to do this right away. We need to plan the bridge and we need to build the bridge so we can cross over. And we got a lot of artillery to cross over and all the men and armaments. We've got to get them over to the other side. And so they did that. Well, he went to his wagon master, the one who was leading the procession of, of the wagons and everything like that. And he told them the engineers are working on the bridge. They're getting it all prepared. So as soon as they're done with that bridge, we got to be urgent about this. We've got to get everybody crossed over like that. So guess what happened? The, the wagon master started gathering some materials. He started gathering some logs, some rocks, some fence rails to put together a bridge. And so there, long before nightfall, the, the wagon master had the bridge already built. He had it built. And so he went to Stonewall Jackson right before dawn. And he says, done. It's done. All the artillery has crossed over. All the men have crossed over. It's all done. And, and Stonewall Jackson looked and said, well, where are the engineers? What are they doing? He said, they're in the tent planning the bridge. <laughs> I thought, isn't that... Isn't that just so typical of people? We're good planners. We're good thinkers. We do all of these things. But when it comes down to the doing, we don't do it. This wagon master says, these guys, 
These guys are Harvard graduates here. They're they're smart. They're going to plan it out. They're going to measure how long it takes for the bridge to go and whether the capacity will be uh, enough to handle the troops that are crossing and all this artillery has got to be heavy enough and they're measuring and taking the angles and doing all that. The guy said, if we wait for these guys, we're going to lose the war. So we got to act now. So he went, took the rudest of materials and built a bridge. May God help us to be bridge builders, to be doers, to be workers that don't just think about it, just talk about it, not plan it, but do it. May God help us to be doers. Yes, I like what Max Licato said. He says, God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. I was telling Shauna about that quote the other day. I really like that. God does not qualify. He does not call the qualified. He doesn't say You've got to be educated and you've got to know this and you've got to go to this seminary and you've got to do that thing. No, God qualifies those who are called. He calls you first. Then he equips you and trains you and uses you. Don't wait to be. Don't wait to be those who are qualified. God will make you qualified. God will use you. And we've all seen it, how God raises up people and equips them and fills them and uses them. And we say, wow, that person's not educated. That's what they said about the early apostles, too. They saw them as ignorant and untrained men. And yet they said, but they had been with Jesus. That's the difference. So may the Lord encourage us today to remember that we need the right perspective. If we're going to make the difference in the world today, we have to have the right perspective of who God is, who we are, And who the devil is and that the devil is a defeated foe and he's going to attack us, but we're going to stand firm and the Lord is going to give us the victory. We need to see everything through God's eyes. Secondly, we remember we need to have the right priorities, the big rocks, the most important things that God wants us to do. We need to do those things and do them for his glory. And we need to remember that the the sand and the water and the gravel, it's important too. God will take care of that. But we've got to put in the big rocks first. We have to honor God. We have to put him first and he'll do a great things for us. And then third, we need to remember to have the right pursuits, the right things that we do for him. We need to do it from the heart and glorify him in everything that we do. And he will give us tremendous strength. And finally, let's remember this verse that we have from Hebrews 13 and 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. May God encourage our hearts today. Shall we close in a word of prayer? Father, we're so thankful that you have given us the opportunity to make a difference. Lord, help us to make a difference in someone's life today and tomorrow and every day, Lord. Help us to be a blessing in what we tell people and share with people. Help us to live a godly example and to be consistent and faithful. Help us to be loyal, Lord, and help us to have the right uh, perspective, the right priorities and the right pursuits. Help us to be a blessing, Lord. We want to make a difference. We can't maybe be a uh, make a difference to those five or six billion people in the world, but we can make a difference to our neighbor next door, to the person we go to school with, to the people we work with in our little world. Lord, help us to make a difference. Help us to be those who are effective in our walk, in our service. And so we commit this time to you. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, they can't make a difference. Their life can't count. 
for eternity until they come to you and accept you as Lord and Savior. Then their life can take on new meaning, new purpose, new peace. And so we pray today for them who come, that they would come to Christ. So we just thank you and praise you for this day and for all that you've shown us, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.